What a crazy week it has been in the worlds of pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. What a great time to be alive. Options, my friends, and plenty of them. Imagine that. You are listening to the Royal Ramble, and I am Blaine the Brain. I am back at it yet again for another week, and what a wild one I have for you today. There is plenty to talk about, so let's not waste any more time and get some of these reviews underway. They are coming a week late, unfortunately, but that only means that I've had a week to think about what we watched. Let's get into it. The UFC returned to pay-per-view last Saturday, and John Jones returned to the Octagon, and oh man, did he. That sentence was about as long as his fight, but I'll get to that in a bit. The event started with some middleweight action as Bo Nickel negotiated Jamie Pickett to the ground and locked on a neck crank but beautifully transitioned into an arm triangle for the submission victory. The lightweights were up next. Mateo Gamrod attempted to go all Matt Hughes on Jalen Turner by trapping him in a crucifix and dropping bombs on him, but Turner was able to make it to the end of the fight. That was enough, however, to earn Gamrod the split decision. There was a great welterweight fight on this card between Shavkat Ragmanov and Jeff Neal. Ragmanov actually lost his mouthpiece at one point, but landed a vicious head kick which busted Neal open. He then displayed some great submission offense and managed to get Neal's back for the rear naked choke. The co-main was for the women's flyweight title as Valentina Shevchenko was challenged by Alexa Grazo. Grazo came into this fight like it was her last. She was on a mission and it clearly paid off. The end came when Valentina missed a spinning back fist, opening the door for Grazo to get her back and submit the now former champion with a rear naked choke, so Alexa Grazo is the new flyweight queen. And then, I talked about it, John Jones came into the cage and literally a minute later walked out as the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world as he quickly took Cyril Gane down and submitted him via guillotine choke. That was all she wrote for now, but the next chapter is Jones vs. Stipe Miocic, which could see a different outcome. That wasn't all she wrote for the weekend, though, because AEW had their own pay-per-view to get through, and once again, they did not disappoint. I actually thought it was an average show by AEW standards, but that's exactly my point. The bar is already set to the highest extreme. Your commentators for the evening were Excalibur, Taz, and JR, and I immediately thought it was a bit weird having JR out there instead of Shivani, but apparently they each called half of the show. You know what? I would have been happy with just Excalibur and Taz, to be honest. I never thought a third guy was necessary. Ricky Starks and Chris Jericho opened the event, and Starks had taped up ribs, obviously selling the injuries from previous encounters with the JAS. I felt this match took a while to get going, and it was sloppy and kind of awkward in parts, but I think it worked considering the story they were trying to tell. Basically, Jericho kept focusing on the injured ribs of Starks. He attacked him early with a gourd buster across the top rope. Sammy Guevara came running out later on, which was kind of dumb, as the JAS was supposed to be barred from ringside, so I don't know why they would make a stipulation if they were just going to ignore it. But Sammy never actually got to ringside, he was attacked in the aisleway by Action Andretti. The momentary distraction allowed Jericho the opportunity to nail Starks in the ribs with Floyd the bat, but then Starks ended up blocking the Judas effect and delivering some stiff clubs to the back of Jericho's neck. He then loaded him up with the Rochambeau to win, which was also kind of dumb considering the injury that you would think would prevent Starks from supporting any extra weight. Anybody who's ever had a rib injury can probably relate to that. I like that this show just kept going right into the next match, as I think pay-per-view should. It was Christian Cage against Jungle Boy in what was called a final burial match, which is basically buried alive. 
This feud really jumped the shark for me after that terrible all-out angle, and this gimmick didn't make much sense at all, as it doesn't suit either guy's character. I liked that they both came out in street clothes, which was a nice touch, especially with Christian wearing the black turtleneck, which was a classic heel move. They ended up fighting in the crowd almost immediately, and they showed Jungle Boy's mom and sister seated at ringside. Back in the ring, Christian stood on Jungle Boy's hair and pulled him up by the arms, which had to hurt. Christian was also bleeding from the bridge of the nose, hard way it looked like, but I didn't see what caused that. He then took off Jungle Boy's belt and started whipping him with it. They finally made their way to the casket, and Christian pulled a couple of chairs out of it. Jungle Boy then hit a crazy somersault dive off the stage. Christian then started begging off, only to sucker JB in for a low blow. One of these days, this kid will learn. Christian then hit the kill switch on stage and set up for the one-man concerto but missed. Jungle Boy then applied the snare trap but used the handle of the shovel across Christian's mouth for some added pressure. Jungle Boy then delivered his own concerto and finally got Christian in the casket and closed the lid for the win. Hopefully he'll be able to advance up the card from here because this program had massive potential but was a bit of a letdown. The trio's titles were defended next with House of Black challenging the Elite, and this is where the pay-per-view got to the next level. This was a very fast-paced and exciting match as you'd expect, but they really should think about getting rid of referees for Elite matches because they really serve no purpose except for making the count. Don Callis joined the announcers for this match, and when Kenny and Black were in the ring together, the crowd exploded with This Is Awesome chants. There was a funny spot where Brody was in with Matt Jackson, and he wanted to tag out, but his brother Nick refused to tag due to intimidation. Brody was actually super over in this one, and well-booked for the most part. There was a spot where House of Black had Omega staked out in the corner, and they kind of ran at him from all sides, with Malachi in the ring and Brody and Matthews on the apron, but the Bucks came back in and super kicked Brody and Matthews off of their respective sides of the apron. Kenny looked like he was about to put Black away after delivering two consecutive Snapdragons, but then Julia Hart got on the apron for the distraction, and Kenny tried for the V-trigger on Black, who dodged while Julia ended up taking the bullet. Black scored with Black Mass, but the Bucks broke the pin. The Elite then hit the BTE trigger on Black, which I thought was it, but Matthews ended up breaking that pin. There was a nice spot where the Bucks were setting up for the Melter Driver on Black, but I believe it was Matthews who caught Nick in midair with a knee to the face. House of Black then hit Dante's Inferno on Omega to finally claim the titles. I wouldn't say this was a surprising outcome, but kind of a surprising finish. After the match, Kenny was holding his face and was carried away by officials with Don Callis walking behind. It'll be interesting to see what he ends up doing from here. The women's title was defended next in a triple threat between defending champion Jamie Hayter, Soraya, and Ruby Soho. This was much better than I expected, and AEW has actually been on a roll lately with pay-per-view women's matches. The crowd was really into Jamie at the start. The three ladies ended up fighting in the crowd, and Ruby used one of the security guards for assistance in delivering a crossbody to both opponents off the barricade into the crowd. There was a great spot where Ruby had the back of Hayter with a reverse chin lock, and while Ruby was still on her back, Hayter was delivering some stiff forearm shots to Soraya. Hayter then delivered a double suplex to both opponents. At this point, Tony Storm got on the apron, but was quickly knocked off by Hayter. Hayter then set Ruby up for a short-arm clothesline. Ruby ducked, but Hayter ended up hitting Soraya, who was standing behind Ruby. From there, Hayter and Ruby exchanged roll-up combos, with Hayter eventually getting the pin with a crucifix. 
After the match, Storm and Soraya started double-teaming Hayter and then attacked Britt as well. Ruby then started acting conflicted, but eventually tossed both Soraya and Storm to the floor. She started to celebrate with Hayter and Britt, only to drill the champion with a kick, and then the destination unknown to Britt. Tony and Soraya then handed in the spray can to Ruby, who painted all over Hayter and Britt's chests. I wasn't so much a fan of an angle on pay-per-view, after all that's what TV is for, but I'm kinda curious to see where this goes. It seems like AEW Originals against WWE cast-offs. John Moxley vs. Hangman Page in the Texas Deathmatch was up next, and this one got ugly very fast. They actually met head-on in the crowd and started beating the hell out of each other, and then the barbed wire came into play. Hangman raked it across Moxley's forehead which busted him open early. Back in the ring, Moxley applied a triangle choke on Hangman and then repeatedly stabbed him in the head with a fork while in the move and that drew Hangman's blood. There was a crazy spot where Moxley had Hangman in a half crab with a barbed wire chair placed underneath Hangman's chest. And it just got more insane from there. Moxley had set up two chairs in the ring that were upright and back to back with a piece of barbed wire draped across them. But his efforts backfired as Hangman powerbombed Mox off the top rope and he landed almost on top of the chair. Hangman then wrapped himself in barbed wire and delivered a moonsault to the floor. Moxley followed that up by placing Hangman's hand between two bricks and stomping down on it. He then executed a pile driver on a chain. Not to be outdone, Hangman delivered a fallaway slam on top of the barbed wire chair and then the dead eye onto that same chair. Talk about ouch. He then met Moxley on the floor with a plancha which landed Moxley on this barbed wire board that he had set up like a bridge earlier in the match. There was one spot where Moxley literally scratched some skin off of Hangman's back and of course Hangman's response was you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Finally the insanity ended as Hangman wrapped the chain around Moxley's neck like a noose and hung him over the top rope eventually causing Moxley to tap out. Until they mentioned it, I didn't even know that was an option in this kind of match, but whatever it took to end this insanity. I hope both of these guys get some well-deserved time off. How do you even follow that? Well, Wardlow and Samoa Joe sure tried. Their match was next for the TNT title. Powerhouse Hobbs, who won the Face of the Revolution ladder match last week, was watching on from the balcony. Joe started targeting Wardlow's knee, which was the basic story of the match, although it wasn't weakened enough apparently, as Wardlow was able to deliver the F10. He followed that up with a Senton Atomico, but Joe came back and applied the Coquina Clutch and actually trapped Wardlow's arm with his legs, so Wardlow would have had to expend more energy to make it to the rope, which he eventually did. Wardlow answered back and applied a Coquina Clutch of his own, and Joe faded away, so we have a brand new TNT champion. And apparently his title defense against Hobbs is on Wednesday already, which is kind of weird. Another title match was second from the top, this one for the tag team titles featuring the Gun Club defending against the acclaimed Triple J, which is Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, and the team of Orange Cassidy and Danhausen. I'm surprised Tony Khan hasn't come up with a team name for them yet. This was ridiculous and quickly became a comedy match, as you'd expect with Orange Cassidy in there. He was mocking Jarrett Strutt in the early going and ended up back body dropping everybody with his hands still in his pockets. I don't understand how anybody gets excited for this guy, I really don't. The heels were then doing struts out of all four corners of the ring and then mocked the acclaimed by scissoring themselves. There's a sentence I thought I'd never say. The guns ended up double crossing Jarrett and Lethal and dumping them over the top but then Satnam gets in the ring and takes the guns out. 
Danhausen then tries to curse Satnam, who grabs him, only for OC to hit the orange punch and then a low blow. Billy Gunn then got in the ring and dropped Satnam with a Famouser. The Guns then got back in the ring and hit their own father with a double low blow. Jarrett tried to use the guitar, but Castor grabbed it only for Aubrey to stop him from using it. As Aubrey was putting the guitar away, Lethal blasted Castor with the Golden Globe, and then Jarrett hit the stroke for a close nearfall. Later on, the Guns hit the 310 to Yuma, which is basically a mockery of FTR's big rig move to pin Bowens, I believe, and retain their titles. Renee then got in the ring to interview the Guns, who say they're basically the best team in the world. They're quickly interrupted, however, by the returning FTR, who hit a spike pile driver on one of them, and Dax was somehow busted open in the brawl. The main event was the Iron Man match, with MJF putting his title on the line against Brian Danielson. MJF came out to some kind of orchestra playing his music with violins, which was kind of weird. It reminded me a bit of V for Vendetta. This match was great. Definitely a match of the year candidate, and between WWE and AEW, they've had some really strong pay-per-view main events this year. It started as a wrestling clinic, as it was just back and forth, hold for counter hold. They eventually started trading back body drops, and they were all delivered perfectly. At one point, it looked like Danielson pulled something in his shoulder, so MJF went right after it. At about the halfway point, we still didn't have a fall, so they started getting desperate, and each guy went for quick pin covers. Danielson finally hit the Busaiko knee for the first fall, but as he got up, because there was no rest period, MJF delivered a low blow and cradled Danielson to earn a fall of his own, and then quickly jumped on him again to get another fall. It was also announced that MJF was disqualified due to the low blow, giving a fall to Danielson, so it was now even at two apiece. MJF kinda tweaked his knee as he landed on his feet while Danielson avoided an acai moonsault on the floor. Danielson then started working over the knee. MJF set Danielson up on a table outside and drilled him with an elbow drop off the top rope. He then hit a tombstone onto the piece of broken table which busted Danielson open. MJF then met Danielson coming into the ring with a heat seeker to pick up another fall. On the floor, Danielson posted MJF which drew his blood, and I mean he was really gushing. Danielson then locked on the regal stretch for the tap out and tied it at three falls each. MJF delivered a crazy tombstone off the top rope, but hurt his already injured knee, so he was unable to make the pin. In the final minute of the match, Danielson locked on a combination heel hook and half crab, and MJF just tapped right after the bell. Tony Schiavone then received a message in his headset, and he came down to ringside, announcing that he received word from Tony Khan that there must be a winner here, and that this match will proceed under sudden death rules. The officials came out with a respiratory unit to try and breathe oxygen into MJF. He ended up hitting another low blow on Danielson, but couldn't put him away this time. Danielson answered back with a poison rana, and then a psycho knee for another close nearfall. He then locked on that half-crap heel hook move again, and MJF totally reminded me of Stone Cold at WrestleMania 13 here, refusing to submit. He did tap out, but right after he grabbed the rope. However, because Danielson's back was to the ropes, he didn't notice that and thought he had won, so he released the hold, which was brilliant. Brilliant in terms of booking, that is, not so brilliant on the part of Danielson. MJF then grabbed the oxygen tank at ringside and corked Danielson with it. He then finished Danielson off with his own label lock, which was another brilliant move. Danielson almost fought free, but eventually tapped, and MJF is still the champ. This match was just incredible. I'm out of here for another week. Next week will be review free. I know it just doesn't seem right.
I will be talking about the continued WrestleMania build. Until then, it's ABC-ya.